Welcome to Food and Loathing, where we believe that while you may not be able to teach an old dog new tricks, you can always teach a mature booze hound how to make a better cocktail. I'm in. Let's do this. I'm your host, Al Mancini, and I am here today with two other people who have been known to mix a drink or two in their day at the Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits Academy, one of Las Vegas's finest resources for learning about intoxicating beverages. Here with me, fresh back from the beaches of Mexico, <laughs> off the strip.com food and beverage writer, Samantha Gemini Stevens. Welcome back again, Gemini. Thank I mean, you. another another airline fiasco <laughs> for you this time. You sh- I'm not flying no, with you. No, I know. I've, I, everybody's been saying that. Um, I love Southwest. You know, shout out to the people who are actually working for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the weather in uh, Houston had a, took a bit of a turn yesterday. Uh, we ended up flying over some of the tornado damage that landed us in Corpus Christi. But I learned that Corpus Christi he has no customs. Mm-hmm. So when you're coming back into the country, you can't get off the plane until you go through customs. No, no, no. But you weren't planning <laughs> to stop at Corpus. No, they state, diverted right? us because of the tornadoes. But I was so supposed to the... go through Houston. Right, but so... Uh, uh, I don't even Long story short, we sat on the tarmac for a few hours. They yeah. gave us water. Nobody revolted. We eventually okay. got to Houston. Um, and yeah, I'm home. Okay, well, welcome back. <laughs> yeah. And also joining us in person once again, yeah. probably because he heard they have alcohol. <laughs> a man who makes sure the sound waves make it out of our pie holes and into your earbuds. The little engineer who could, yeah. can, and does. The one and only Rich Johnson. <laughs> the man. The extent of my mixology is, you know, Mac 12 neat soda back. <laughs> <laughs> you should take it neat. I, I was going to say, at least the soda is back. Yes. <laughs> As I mentioned, we're here at the Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits Academy, and we're going to be um, speaking to a pair of their instructors in just a few minutes to hopefully get some tips on mixing drinks or learn a little bit of trivia that we didn't know, but also tell you how you can take advantage of the returning educational series absolutely free for a few months. And, Ooh. um, I can afford that. Yeah, this is aimed at people in the industry, but I don't think they check IDs. I mean, they check the 21. Uh, We'll we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think you could sign up. So I think. Oh, I like this idea. So we're going to have some dirt for you on that really soon. Um, But first, we always begin the festivities talking about where we've dined recently because we eat out a lot and we like to brag. (laughs) And also because we're all trying to figure out how to get our accountants to write off a few of these checks on our taxes. Story. Rich. You haven't shared in a while because oh, you have yeah. not been around. <laughs> Let's start with you, man. It's both pride and shame. I must say, I finally got to Brezza. Yes. Ooh. Nicole's place over there in the Resorts World. A fantastic ma- meal made even better by the visit from Chef Nicole, who brought an extra pasta course, which was very nice. Uh, a tough time remembering all the specifics because it's been a while. The whole bronzino for Joanna, the half a chicken for me. Pastas were fantastic. And then I went to look at the menu before we showed up, and I thought, was it that one? Was it that one? That's, <laughs> and that's not a testament of the... No, the they're all they just wonderful. so good. I just have no memory <laughs> or palate. I do remember a fantastic Caesar salad, clearly made in-house, with anchovy in the dressing as Caesar Cardini originally made it in Tijuana back in the 20s. None of this fishies on the top. Bullshit. I'm just saying, I just saw the menu, man, and you better make sure you can remember what you ate there because that had bad consequences when the guy could not remember in the menu. Oh, no. Nobody else has watched that yet? Oh, okay. No. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. I loved it so much I watched it twice. Yeah. Now, we went uh, uh, around. <laughs> 
I, I still can't bring myself to watch that. But I, it, I, 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 I have to there. say, just for the hell of it, I know yeah. I always interrupt and we're, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But um, the menu is fantastic. And I think it oh. takes the preachiness out of the topics that are covered in the bear. Absolutely. In preachy yeah. manner and makes yeah. them a lot more fun. Oh, so, so that's great. all I'm going to say. Yeah. So we ended up at um, Reza early. Uh, very few folks in there at first. But then by the time we left around seven, it was getting filled. And I have to say, uh, not against Brezza, but sort of against our original choice, which was Viva. Mm-hmm. And we never really got there because I could not get beyond the dueling music. Oh. You have the outside music of Resorts World. Yeah. You have Viva's own music. And every they put us in two different places, one sort of out in the terrace area and one deeper in the bar. And both times, it was just this cacophony of chaos of the two musics at about equal volume to my brain. And I just couldn't do it. So yeah. we found the quiet of Brezza. There's some sound engineers over there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no disrespect to Vivo, which I will try not one of these all. days. But that was that. Uh, or also this week, I went to Bacon Nation. I'd been there on day two when it was still kind of chaos. Looks like they have their act together now. I had some great wings and jalapeno poppers. Huge poppers, peppers, <laughs> filled with light cheddar-y cream cheese. My dining companion had a... Cheeseburger topped with, guess what, bacon. <laughs> a very thick bacon. Not quite pork belly, but certainly thicker than, you know, the okay. bar S thick right. uh, cut at, yeah. at, at Albertsons. Last weekend was a, a, a double dip breakfast for me. Saturday at Dupar's. Monster omelet. I did not have bacon and eggs over medium. <laughs> oh, my God. You switched I know. Oh I my did. God. I had about dog, new trick. <laughs> four veggies inside the omelet and three huge sausages on the side. I did try to minimize my carbs, so I reluctantly passed on the wonderful hash browns of Dupar's and just had the toast that's over there at the Sun Coast. I love Dupar's. I think they're yeah. a good restaurant. I do not think their pancakes are as brilliant as everybody uh, else thinks yeah. they are. They're I, like fucking pancakes. Yeah, yeah. So the way I avoid that is don't have the pancakes. Yeah, I've decided years ago. That I yeah, love that. I still take people over there for breakfast, but I just yeah. I don't order pancakes. Yeah, I haven't ordered a pancake anywhere in years. I really, <laughs> Every time I tried to order them and I was like, oh, put some Butterfingers in it. That'll make it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'll just buy a fucking Butterfinger Right. I don't like pancakes. If I yeah. want starch, I'm going to have the good hash browns. Okay, next <laughs> Day, Sunday, uh, Rampart next door. The light senior loyalty breakfast of two eggs, two slices of thin bacon this time, toast over medium, uh, and a side of victory. Yes, about baby. About 60 bucks to the good on the video poker there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the cold days of this past week demanded another beef stew at home. More of the same there. Cool. Um, it's something I haven't done for a while, paella. Or at least I tried again to make paella. It was more uh, patient than ever, but I still could not get the good socrat, the, the crust oh, the on crust, the bottom. The crust, right? I, I, it was dark old dry. I have a paella pan. Yeah, I had I gas. Pan. I had everything. Mm-hmm. And I just, and I was patient. And I was afraid I was burning it. And then I just got hungry and said, screw it. Uh, yeah, that's it. I just got hungry. I think I've said this before. I just got no good food story starts with, I just got hungry no. and said, screw it. No. It was still very good. Uh, I've become a Josh believer. Josh, and it's uh, Oregon Pinot, uh, was, was a perfect uh, patty, uh, pairing there for me and my unsophisticated palate. <laughs> I've got some um, paella seasoning that was given to me by the Spanish pavilion that I'll bring you. All right. There you go. Yeah, yeah. At Fancy Foods. Uh, Gemini. 
where yeah. you been? I know you had another adventure and all that, but <laughs> any place in Vegas that you've eaten since we last spoke at the fancy Not food show? really, no, because uh, I left really early Thursday morning and was working on other things. Um, as, as I've mentioned uh, ad nauseum, I've been working on dry January stuff for mm-hmm. Off the Strip. So I've been going out and, and drinking a lot of stuff with no alcohol in it. <laughs> I didn't say I've been the perfect participant because I can no. see Al making a face at me right now. Yeah, she's <laughs> the only person I know who's drunk when she writes her dry January stories. No, that's not um, true. I'm not accusing you of right No, 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 no. It's okay. Not drunk, but not exactly completely dry. We're, we're laughing. Um, so, yeah, no, sadly, unfortunately, not a whole lot of Vegas stuff to share. I did just have what I thought were actually some pretty tasty shumai just down the street. I met him <laughs> with Rich before the show. I don't even um, remember the name of the place. But I it was don't. Just... I'll, and I'll look it up. Yeah, um, yeah. But tasty shumai spot. They were bigger than they any shumai I've yeah. ever seen. Like, I'm used to the teeny tiny ones. You know, maybe they're... You know, I don't know, half an inch across, three quarters of an inch across. These things were an inch and a half across, they, minimum. They were not from the freezer. No, they were not from the freezer. They were stuffed full of really good, like chicken and shrimp and pork or something like that. And the thing I mentioned to Rich that I thought was interesting, they had a super black peppery thing going for them, and I didn't sauce. hate it. Like yeah. the sauce was very sort of Asian Thai style dipping sauce, but both on the dumpling and a little bit in the sauce, there was a, a very much a, a, an effort of black pepper being put into this. And it was really enjoyable. I liked it. If only we could tell people where that was. I know. I think, it's called, up, I think it's called Thai Table or something. It's down by the Lucky's Bar, just down a mile down the road from Jones. here. Yeah, I'm okay. um, Cool. So yeah, pop in, check it out. It was really quiet. They've got lunch specials. Uh, that was the only thing that I tasted. But yeah, I was just really surprised by the black pepper and really enjoyed it. Cool. I'm um, sorry I missed that. Uh, okay, so where have I been? Uh, if you recall, we recently had Michael Mina on the show. Yeah. And he was telling us about the renovations and menu expansion at Strip Steak. That was about two weeks ago. Go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it. But um, last week, Chef Mina had a few members of the media in to sample some of the dishes in the new private dining room. And damn. Just, mm-hmm. damn, how, Just damn, how good. Brought back a oh. lot of great memories because I used to spend a lot of time in Mandalay Bay. Um, and it just reminds me that I need to go back there. And I think we're going to have a lot more reasons to go back to Mandalay Bay. Do tell. Because the president of Mandalay was speaking to all of us as we were assembled, you know, yeah. the big giant Jesus <laughs> last supper table. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he, he said, you, you're food writers. You're going to have a lot to write about in Mandalay Bay over the next year. He's like, I expect we're going to have Mandalay Bay announcements going out about once a month. Oh, my gosh. He wouldn't Whoa. tell us what's coming next. But so that's good news for because I, I used to have so much fun at that place. Yeah. Yeah, really I love that place. Yeah. When I got into food writing, I was always r- covering bands at House of Blues, but I was spending all my time with Hubert Keller, <laughs> with Rick Moonen, yes. with um, Mike at Border Grill. Yep. I mean, it was so I'm glad that they're going to bring back, you know, that they're really excited. I I am excited, yeah. As far as strip steak, of course, the duck fat fries were great. This new truffle cornbread and the yuzu jelly donut with caviar. Both a lot of fun, great dishes. Um, They had a lot of what I would call new-style sushi, new-style sashimi. If you remember, that was sort of a trend maybe 10, 15 years ago. But, um, like, they have a crispy yellowfin tuna nigiri, uh, the hamachi nori tacos. I don't know. I almost feel like I may have spoken about this in the past. So I won't go on too much. But it was just a fantastic meal. It makes me want to spend more time at Mandalay Bay. We also went back to Nene Japanese Japanese Bistro over on, like, Grand Canyon. That's over by the, like where the Rolling Smoke and the Frankenfinas yeah. are. The LV, you know, the 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 gyms across yep. Grand Canyon there. Um, I really love this place, and 
One of the things I really dig about it personally are the reasonable prices that you'll find on some very high-end ingredients. Now, look, if you don't know what the following words mean, that's okay, because you usually <laughs> only see these items at very expensive restaurants. Um, and you, the person who doesn't know these words, you're still going to find shit that you like at this place. I still want you to go there. But as they say, if you know, you know. Such and, a ringing endorsement. Shit you'll like. No, there's no right. the great copy, stuff. No, there's great stuff that, that everybody will like. Absolutely. There is absolutely great Here's what I tell people. You may not know what it means now, but taste it, eat it, try it. You're going to know what it means then, and you're all set. So let's go. But as I was saying, if you know, you know. So for those who know, you'll also know what these price points that I'm talking about mean, and they're pretty fucking awesome. Otoro, $4.50 a piece. Chutoro Nigiri, $3.50 a piece. Three different styles of Tobiko. They've got the plain one, the one that's marinated in yuzu, and the wasabi oh, Tobiko. Yeah. Those are a buck fifty a piece. You oh can't even God. get Tobiko at half the no. neighborhood sushi restaurants I know. Kamashita, which is a really, really fatty cut of tuna, that's Five fifty a piece. Again, if those words yeah. resonate, those yes. prices should also resonate with you. I don't have to say much more. I think I've got um, and to be able to get things in the burbs like that, exactly. to quote Mastercard, <laughs> that's priceless, baby. <laughs> uh, I had a short business meeting at the bar at Villa Azure in the Palazzo. Palazzo. You may recall I missed the media night because I was sick, but Rick Moonen was there, and he had said that they were still trying to dial in some details, but he looked forward to going back. I had a few bites at the bar that were all great, but the one thing I was happy to learn is they've gotten rid of the DJ, and they now have live music. Yay. The night I was there, it was the woman who had starred in Bad Out of Hell, which I don't think is running anymore. Or yeah. It's not going to be <laughs> no. running much longer. Uh, she was performing the kind of modern jazz interpretations of contemporary classics that are all the rage right now in Supper yeah. Club in Las Vegas. I like it. I want to get back for a full meal, so I'm psyched. I, I have a semi-update of uh, Jim and I and our lunch. <laughs> I found it on, on, on the Google Maps. I found the, the group, but apparently the Thai restaurant was too cheap to buy a listing in Google Maps. <laughs> so we got Soho Japanese Restaurant, Scoop LV, Hippo Korean Grill, and Sojo Ramen. And between that blank between space right the, the there. black Google space. That's, that's right. That's the blank Thai restaurant that didn't buy 7,300 block of Jones. Yes. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and you were eating Shemai in a Thai And I had the, yeah, I had the, the, <laughs> the so basil really chicken. That was really nice. Uh, okay. Um, I also went out for brunch twice this weekend. If you get a chance to go to Genting Palace's dim sum oh, um, oh. Yes. Lunar New Year, 88 bucks a head. But well worth every fucking penny okay. of it. Okay. Um, split lobsters, all you can eat. Yeah. Of course, shrimp and crab legs constantly being refilled. Uh, sushi. I mean, I think I had like some chutoro there as well. Like yeah. crazy cuts of sushi. Coming over from Sushi Nori, they had their um, sushi chefs in there making the sushi. It was fantastic. Um, hot dishes, of course, lots of dim sum, lots of. Um, Lots of Chinese dishes. They had a Peking duck being carved and oh folded gosh. up in front of you. They had a lamb carving station with Oof. hunter sauce. I mean, 88 bucks, just unreal. So check that out. One more weekend of that. So if you're hearing this I'm on Friday, this it'll weekend. be Friday, Saturday, <laughs> Sunday. I think I'm going to hit that yeah. on Friday or Saturday. I'm staying at the Resorts World this weekend for a big... Oh. Super Bowl old guy blowout. Oh, that's right. You're rich old guys. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. That should be fun. And you can do the strip club too? 
Yeah, because we're having entertainment right at uh, El Dorado, is it called? Yeah, the Mexican oh, yeah. place. Yeah. Sort of awesome. Right across the street. Yes. Perfect. I also did um, Sedell's with my brother. Interesting fact, that giant plate of fish that they yeah. bring with the bagels, they don't have that on the menu anymore. Oh. But I was like, fuck that. Do you guys still do the thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll do it. Right? They okay. Because that was good. That right. was delicious. It was great. Massive <laughs> heapings of two different kinds of of salmon. You know, the Yeah, curating. and then they had the yeah. white fish. And they had the white fish and the tuna. All the veg to go. Oh, All that. Oh, so good. And yeah, they, so they did that for us. I think it came in around 160 bucks, okay. but it was like, how many bagels do you want? They didn't care. They would just keep bringing yeah. bagels. Yeah, I was going to say, because to, I saw yeah. four and I thought, well, that's enough accoutrement for about four dozen. No, they, they asked us how many they wanted. <laughs> they are and, generous. Yeah, and I don't know if they would do this for everybody, but I mean, probably based on the fact that we bought that, they're like, how many do you want to take home? Yeah. <laughs> so they were, yeah. So, you know, Very we, nice. We, yeah, we, we had a day with that. Oh, so that man. was all great. Um, the news. Brunches. Oh, you're not done yet. No, that's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're never done here. The news is on the way. We're going to talk about the James Beard nominations, but first, we are here at Southern. We're going to learn about alcohol in all its wonderful forms. <laughs> this is Food and Loathing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast, restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. And joining us right now, one of our hosts for this great afternoon in this very cool location, we have Livio Lara, one of the instructors um, for the courses that are being taught here at the Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits Academy. And before, you know, we talked, we, we mentioned that we were here at the top of the show, but we didn't get into just what a gorgeous room this is that we're sitting in. And, you know, I've heard the stories about how much money you guys put into this classroom, what is basically the world's coolest, booziest classroom, I think, <laughs> ever. If my college classrooms were like this, I would have had a way better GPA. Uh, Livio, could you explain where we're sitting? Could you describe this to people? Absolutely. We are in the Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits and Beer Academy of Spirits room or Academy room, uh, and uh, we have 48 uh, stadium seating. Uh, we have uh, 12 more uh, stools at the bar. Um, the room is very ergonomic. It's not just beautiful, but everything we went through in picking where our students would be sitting, uh, what they would be looking at, how the light reflects on what they're drinking uh, was really, really well thought out. Um, so this is the room where a lot of magic has happened throughout the years. 
And this is so, yeah. So there's this great bar, which he described, which is sort of bottom lit. If you've been to like some of the mm. Onyx bars, right? Imagine that, but without the annoying Onyx, right? So right. it's just the plain white coming up <laughs> from the bottom. Um, but all of these rows of stadium seats where the students sit in this classroom are also lit the same way. And this is, this was established when? I remember the grand opening party for this a right. long time ago. Yeah, 2016, I believe. And uh, yeah, 2016 was the grand opening party. And by the way, the lights uh, that you're looking at here, we have different settings, right? Everywhere from nightclub to tasting wine. So we can so, check how our Instagram looks when we're you you know, can, in the <laughs> For sure you can. And also you can check what color do you want your wine to be. Wow. Uh, so yes, 2016 was when we relaunched. This room was already here. Uh, it was set up completely differently. And now we have finally set it up to the way we really like it and the way our students really like it. And By the way, you, just the, 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 the chair you're sitting on, Al, mm-hmm. is, uh, is I, I, I don't know how much money it costs. and I don't, I don't know, that, but they're comfortable. I don't think that really matters, but we did actually have somebody sit on it for six hours to make sure that it's something you want to sit on for six hours. Well, well, um, then I'm just not leaving. Nothing in my house is quite this comfortable. Um, if, in fact, do you have a Netflix subscription? Right. Can I just um, Got those screens there. I need a game, and I'm right. ready to go. I can log into HBO. Yeah. We can watch the menu. Life is good. Yeah, I, I don't want to be the tacky guy that says how much did this place cost, but I know that you were taught when I originally it was open. People did talk about that. Mm-hmm. So, how much money went into this room? So I'll tell you what I have heard. Um, okay. I have heard Larry Ruvo tell French. Francesco, who designed the room, that his budget was $2 million. Actually, I'm sorry, that his, he had no budget, and he still found a way to exceed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Francesco, too. <laughs> but I do believe it was in the $2 million. Now, of course, wow. the, the actual uh, room was already here, yeah. mm-hmm. so it was $2 million to outfit it, not to actually build it. Right. Sure. Yeah. Which but, is- I mean, it is beautifully outfitted, and for classrooms, you have cameras, and you've got various lights and you've got your acoustics are perfect you've got you can see everything from everywhere i mean it's really an amazing space it really is it really is so the goal when you opened this if i'm recalling was that you were going to teach people in the industry mm-hmm. and this way you know obviously southern glazers wine and spirits represents some amazing brands of beer wines i'm not sure beer but wine sake spirits um, and beer and beer okay and so if like I remember being here when a team from a strip restaurant that was a newly opening Japanese restaurant were in here being trained in sake and Japanese whiskeys because if they're going to sell mm-hmm. the shit, they need to know what the shit is all about so they could speak intelligently. Hundred percent. So I know that that was the primary goal was sort of to educate the community uh, on on the, stu- the, the the bartending community on your products that they are then going to be serving in their restaurants. Is that still what you use that primarily for? And it's been closed for a little while, right? It has. It's been closed for two and a half, almost three years. We're finally, we're excited that finally we're, it's opened up again. And that was a COVID thing. That was a COVID thing. Yeah. 100% COVID thing. Yeah. And um, yes, the, the purpose is still the same, right? We want to educate our community, the trade. Uh, think about it. It's more necessary now to have it than ever before, simply because most restaurants have new staff members. And mm-hmm. so everybody, the, the restaurants are dealing with a lot of people that were never part of the opening team, never got their original training. And so they're just kind of thrown in and trying to learn as they go. And hopefully the academy is that 
is that vessel that will allow you to polish all those missing pieces that you have as you're serving your guests uh, in the restaurant. And so we try to keep it, obviously we're going to talk about the science and everything around fermentation, distillation, and production, but my main objective and the main objective of of the academy is to make it very hospitality driven. So don't necessarily talk about how the product is made with all of its twists and turns unless the thrill-seeking guest at your table wants that. Right. And again, I just, I, I kind of need to paint the picture here. We're looking behind this bar and like, there's a bottle of Louis Thirteenth back there, right? I oh, mean, yeah. I'd, I mean, oh. there's like, this is, and there's a, what, a hundred, what, what's, what's right below the Louis Trey there? Oh, Grand Marnier 100. Grand Marnier 100, Well, right? let me, and, let me just add to that. The bottle of Louis Trey actually has a signature of the master distillery. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you're going to want to check my bags on the way out there. <laughs> so I love the education and and I have sit in, sat in on some of the classes, and they're really great. Um, before we get more into when you're offering more classes, though, w- one of the things that Southern Glazers offers, and I guess other distributors do this, but we're here to talk about you, mm-hmm. is when you have a customer, whether it's a g- big strip restaurant or a local video poker bar, you, your experts, people like yourself, will help not only design cocktails for them to have specialty cocktails on their menu, because they're buying your product. You mm-hmm. want to help them sell it, sure. you know? I mean, it's not a selfless gesture, but you'll help them g- design great tasting cocktails so it's not the schmuck who owns the place that's doing that, but also go in and train their staffs either on location at their place or have them in for classes like this, right? Absolutely, and it's not past us to even have one-on-ones. So sometimes we will train the staff, we will train them here, we will train them there, but then you have one or two people that are still, you know, every restaurant has different levels of staff members, right, in terms of years of experience. So some of the newer ones, when you train them, maybe they need a little bit more than that. So I'll meet up with them one-on-one or we'll get on a phone call and on a Sunday afternoon uh, because you're absolutely right, Al. It's, it's all about educating people on how to use our brands best. And uh, we're really sticklers about that. And uh, we, we've helped the restaurant many times, even far before that, even at the design stage, right? I design bars all the time. So if you don't know how to, where to put your well versus your dump sink versus your trash bin versus your glass washer, that's all something we provide and we help with. And then you teach people all the basics, everything from what kind of ice to use in a drink, in a particular drink, to what kind of glass to use in a particular drink, to how to shake it, and all—I mean, all that stuff. Right? You're kind of a full service, which makes sense because the better the cocktails are, the more your product, the the more they're going to sell, the more product that they're going to need to put into those drinks. A hundred percent. And and to and to add to that as well is the story. The story is really important because realistically, the difference between a really good cocktail and a great cocktail Mm -hmm. is the story because the drink is the same. Mm -hmm. It's everything else around it. And so a legit story about this is where it comes from. This is why we make it this way. This is all those things are very important. And obviously we teach the staff member you know, not everybody likes that. So mm. just because the Negroni in 1919 was served this mm. way, you also have to be observant. If that's not how they like it, don't insist. Go back mm. and make it the way they like it. But most people actually like to hear the story. And that's the difference between a, a really good cocktail and just a great one. I have been having this conversation with so many people in restaurants um, because I think the same thing that you're saying applies to food, mm-hmm. but certainly to cocktails is 
the server, whether it's a bartender or a server at a table at a restaurant, needs to, first of all, feel out the customer and see how much of a story they want to hear. But everybody wants some story right. because the story is why we're not drinking at home, right? right? The conversation. Conversations are why we go out, mm -hmm. um, and unless we just ran out. <laughs> but normally, the conversations are why we go out. And I think that you give somebody a little bit of story and a little bit of an information then they get to explore that and teach their friends and they get to feel like a big shot. 100%. So you can't overwhelm them with too much if they're not going to retain it and not be able to take it back to their friends as well. 100%. They are not just buying food and drinks. They're buying an experience. They're buying status. So sometimes it's even part of how we as a distributor help our retail partners uh, propose our brands properly is understand what is the consumer looking for. Mm -hmm. If they're looking for status, sell them a luxury brand. They're not mm -hmm. interested in good old Johnny who <laughs> grew up on a farm and now makes something in his attic. Sure. They're interested in something <laughs> where you drink this and you own the room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, right, you might have somebody that's totally on the other side of the spectrum and they don't they're not all about the frills and the thrills no they want johnny's farm they want basin gin whatever 100 yeah. percent, right and so how <laughs> do they feel connected that? to it right uh, how do you do that i always tell the staff i always tell our, our our students here a good server and a good bartender are very nosy people got to be a little nosy. <laughs> read the crowd read the customer get get into that get in there you know I, i'll tell you a story and i'm looking to see your brands to see if i'm gonna offend <laughs> you or whatever with this story but um, I do see Jägermeister up there, so I feel a little okay oh, yeah. telling my story. <laughs> so my wife and I, that was Jäger was the first thing she would drink shots of, right? And um, because of that, I switched over from Jack Daniels to drinking Jägermeister so we could do shots. Good and call. We, yeah, right, because you want to yeah, you want to be on the same level, right? So, um, so early, in the early days, the 80s, my friends in heavy metal bands would go on tour in Europe and they'd come back drinking Jägermeister. This is before the Jäger girls, before any mm -hmm. of that. So, of course, we were still drinking it when we moved to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And we would go in and a lot of really good bartenders and great restaurateurs, because I was in the industry, they would keep a bottle of Jäger, whether they normally had it or not. Michael Mina always had it in his restaurants for me. <laughs> nice. Um, and it was cool. But a lot of restaurants I would go into, and this was also around the same time that Tony Shea was convincing everyone they had to drink Fernet. Yes. And nobody was drinking Fernet in this fucking town before Tony Shea. I don't care what you all think. Before Tony did it, nobody was drinking it, okay? And um, But Tony was, and he got everybody into it. So then I would go into bars, and every time, they'd shame me for drinking the Jägermeister right. and try to give me Fernet. And I'm like, do you think I don't know what Fernet is? I know what it is. I'm here as a food writer. I know what it is. I'm just ordering the garbage. And you know what? I like it. It's like if I go in and order a Pabst Blue Ribbon, you're not going to try to sell me a craft beer. You know I know what PPR right. is, right? right. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that you got to educate people that, right? Like, don't yeah. try to talk people out of their garbage drink. No, absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? To add to that story, Al, I mean, it sounds weird, and I don't want to get geeky and nerdy here. Do but, it. But Jaeger is... I mean, I'm an Amaro yes. lover, specialist, you know, I, Amaro is my thing, right? And Jaeger is a German Amaro called a Kraut liqueur. It's actually made better than most Amari. And as an Italian guy, that hurts my feelings, <laughs> but it's, it's 56 herbs and spices. And after that, they age it for three years. Jaeger, by every stretch of the imagination, is 
craft and awesome. <laughs> it's just that we turned it into a party drink and now it's oh. like associated with something that's not supposed to be good, but it's damn good. So yeah, I, I like that. So I, like that I a lot. can't so quite get to the damn good part, but I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> I had damn good times on it. I'll tell you oh. that. I did some things, oh. man. I could tell some stories. Um, but okay, so I, I took you down that little yeah. rabbit hole. I apologize. <laughs> but let's talk now. You're bringing the classes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they in session now? How frequently are you going to have them? Let's mm-hmm. talk a bit about that and how much they cost. Right, right. So February 8th is the f- beginning of our first Academy of Spirits. It will be 12 weeks. Um, and the next session will be in October. But in October, we're doing it a little different. We're st- the, the curriculum is still the same, uh, which we can talk about. Uh, but instead of having people come for 12 weeks three hours a day every Wednesday, we're going to do something where we're going to sequester them for five days of their life and for eight hours a day with breaks. We're going to get them to knock it all out in five days. Wow. That helps some of our other partners, right? Because Southern is not just Southern Las Vegas, right? And so if a lot of our academies throughout the country have not yet reopened, and so if there's somebody from our Florida market or, you know, Chicago market or in Cali that wants to come in, they can come in, take the five days, get it all done and and move forward. So So everything that you offer is a five-day course or do you offer single day Currently, it's it's three hours every Wednesday. Okay, right? three for hours 12 for twelve, 12 weeks. weeks. Sorry. Then we're gonna take those twelve weeks and turn them into five days in October. Okay. And we're gonna just see which one the market because we've always had this issue where some people just could not commit to twelve Wednesdays off. Mm-hmm. They can make five of the twelve or six of the twelve. Well, that's not gonna be that's not gonna cut it. Right. So how about you take five days off from work? or whatever, and you come on over and you learn it and you knock it all out. We'd yeah. be happy to do that. So we're testing that out. For from now until June, our academy classes, of course, are completely free, which wow. is, again, part of our outreach to the community. Hey, we're all back. We're happy we're back. We, we all want to uh, get back to work and we all want to serve and we all want to drink great cocktails and great wine and awesome beers and we want to eat great food. So let's roll up our sleeves and get this going. So just so I understand the logistics, because I'm trying to keep this. Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. So February 8th is the first Wednesday of a 12-week course. Correct. That course covers what topics? Uh, All the spirits. All the spirits. All the spirits. uh, Cocktails, mixology, hospitality, food pairing with spirits, and I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Um, and obviously, the word mixology, right, encompasses so many moving parts. Yeah. Whether that's understanding the history of the cocktail versus understanding how to make it for your guests versus mm-hmm. all those things. Um, and again, we day one of class, I put up a board and I ask everybody, what are you expecting from this course for the next 12 weeks? And so we, there will be some added elements that just come from the people in the room uh, because we, we, always, we don't always know what is the soft point of everybody in the room, so we add to that whatever might, it might be. Uh, how to swagger your cocktail to how to be diehard classic to understanding which one, when occasion you should be doing one or the other or something in between. Okay, so that that course starts on February 8th. 8th. I'm assuming people need to sign up for that in advance. Correct. It is free. Correct. Where do they go to sign up for it? And I know you're gearing this towards industry professionals, but like 
if I wanted to take it or if one of my friends wanted to take it, they could come in and do this class? Well, I'm not checking your... Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll check if you're 21. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not looking for my USBG card or anything on the way USBG in. card nor your place of employment. So um, we believe that... I, I believe that if you, can, if you are interested in coming into the academy, then you are either a damn good consumer of ours, which why wouldn't we want to educate you? But more than that, you're probably wanting to go be in the industry. Yeah. And and so why not? Why not help you out? Wow. Yeah. So that's really cool. So how do we sign up for this? Uh, SGWSacademy.com. Cool. Um, so what courses do you teach? Specifically? I, I teach the Academy of Spirits and Fine Service. So those are the 12, that's the 12 week academy. It dates back to, believe it or not, November of 2000. That was when we held, hosted our first academy. And it's basically been, been the same core curriculum, all about spirits and cocktails and hospitality. Um, and then my, I also do once a quarter a Spirits 101. I also do a Spirits 201. Those are more, they're set on a schedule, but as our customers need those, we just do them on the fly, right? So we have some sets so that we can point people to going to those. But if a new account is opening, like you said earlier, Al, and they need it on May 13th. Yeah, they've got people wet behind the ears. It's time to get them ready. We'll get them. We'll get them going. And then obviously Joseph Phillips teaches our wine academy. Uh, Eric Mummert teaches our beer academy. Joseph also teaches our sake academy. So um, we're we're going full book here. Okay, so I want to do this. We're we're a little pressed for time, but I want to do kind of lightning round. You're the spirits guy, and I see Eric over there, so I'm going to ask him some beer questions in a second. But let's talk really quickly. Spirits. you have any spirits questions that you've always wanted to ask a pro, Gemini? Oh, my gosh. Skip me. I'll come back. Okay. Let let me ask you this. (laughs) What makes something a vodka? I know what makes things just about every other spirit. Uh-huh. What makes something a vodka? Well, something is made is a vodka when it is distilled in a way where about 95% of it is alcohol and only 5% of it is water. And what that means is when you're making alcohol, you basically go through a process called fermentation. It creates an alcoholic mash that's about 10 to 12 ABV, which means the rest of it, 80 plus percent, is water. Now you throw it in a still. And when you distill it, you distill it to very high uh, alcohol content. You have stripped it of the flavors that originally made that beverage what it could have been. Meaning, if you made it with grapes, had you not distilled it that much, it could have become a brandy, Mm -hmm. right? Had you distilled sugarcane or the fermented mash of the fermented molasses, or had you distilled molasses... Um, that could have been a rum, but rum. because you hit 90 plus, right, it's 90 in America and 95 in Europe, uh, so it depends on where the, where the bottle of vodka is made, but because you distilled it over 90%, mm-hmm. it's no longer allowed to be a brandy, therefore, it's a vodka. Okay, that's my question. <laughs> so, I know that whiskeys are usually rye corn, things like that. So keeping with the vodka question, Mm -hmm. can it be made from anything? Because my idea is that vodka just basically is so stripped down, it's a neutral spirit. You want that percentage that you just talked about. Mm -hmm. But can you still make it from anything? Yeah, I can make it with your t-shirt. If there's enough starch starch in your (laughs) t-shirt that can be converted into sugar, then yep. Awesome. Yeah, vodka can be made from carrots, potatoes, uh, any cereal grain mash, anything you want. Okay. Now, now, taking that vodka, we turn into 
a whole bunch of aromatics and herbs and things and gin. steep it in that, and we most commonly make gin. We redistill it, right? Redistill it with we, that stuff, right? And we're not. We, it's a, it's simplifying to say we're redistilling the vodka, but yes, yeah. for the for the people listening out there, we're basically taking what is very similar to vodka, neutral grain spirit. We're steeping. The botanicals, which yeah. are juniper botanicals, berry. that's the yeah. phrase. Juniper made. berry, lemon, yeah, yeah, yeah. peel, any of those, and we're redistilling it one more time. So, do a lot of no. other spirits begin with something that could have been become a vodka? One hundred percent. A lot of, especially yeah. liqueurs out there, right? Mm-hmm. Liqueurs are typically neutral grain slash vodka based or brandy based. Now, back to the gin being the most common gin. one. Being a uh, Scandinavian, I have had uh, the pleasure of having a little aquavit once in a while. Oh, yeah. I cannot, for the life of me, find it in this valley. Do you have some? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And can he take it home with him? (laughs) We have a brand called Krogstadt. Krogstadt aquavit here. So I'm going to look for the mm. bottle upstairs before you leave. <laughs> and if I have it, well, take so you a know it it's all yours. Oh, oh yes. I just wanted to know where <laughs> I could buy it. Sometimes it's come. easier for me to tell you where I have it than where you could find it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now you got to take it. I got to take it to Boulder right? City for the Lutefisk Festival. Oh, oh yeah. Nice. Nice. <laughs> and now I got an Aquavit question. Isn't there something about it having to be sailed past the equator to get some kind of certification on Aquavit? I know, I'm digging deep back That's into my old... Being I'm a Scandinavian thing, I would think more would be like the Arctic Circle right? or something. I thought there was... I don't know. I had a friend who lived in Norway who... That's back a new one, one for so, me. Okay, That's I good. could be wrong. I, I, have whis- I was I have, drinking a lot when he told me that. So I have I whiskey <laughs> that has been uh, aged in barrels that have been out on the ocean. Yeah, yeah they do actually. that. Yeah. yeah. And the last yeah. question then on yeah. that is, uh, what are some other things of that nature? Uh, aromatics in vodka turned into gin, turned into aquavit. Whatever. Right, Geneva, right, which was the original gin, which some people like to say is a style of gin, but Geneva was way different than gin, right? Geneva was all about, and by the way, if you if you haven't tried Geneva lately, you go grab yourself like a Bulls Geneva, right? yeah, and buy on those, the shelf, huh? yeah, buy on the shelf, um, because Geneva was it w- the Dutch had really good grains, right, and so they didn't need to dress it up too much. With the juniper berry and the other uh, ingredients, it was more like a really good spirit with a little bit of flavor. When Geneva slash gin made its way to the to London, it was the opposite. Their problem was is their grains weren't as good, so they (laughs) flavored it up a little more. So that one's that's I think if you're if you if you want to be in that scenario of redistilled flavored spirits, I think Geneva is 100% your starting point. And now, did the British actually give gin to their troops so that they would be able to drink their, their quinine or whatever? To back in the day, in gin and tonic, baby, <laughs> the original. No, so back in the day, right, and when the British and the Dutch were fighting the war together, uh, they the the British realized that the the Dutch were very courageous, and they were drinking this Geneva stuff. And so the British didn't even know what it was. They called it Dutch courage. What's that Dutch courage? <laughs> and that's how they then brought it home. And the story of the gin and tonic on the, uh, on the, on the, on the, the malaria on the ships, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was related a lot to, to. Are these the kind of fun questions that we could ask if we came to your class? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And oh. guests okay. love those. I love the nerdy stuff. One last question. One is, last before Eric comes in. Is yeah. wormwood for absinthe and all of that 
if, if you can condense that story, is that stuff still illegal? I was just in New Orleans and then I was just in Mexico and I'm yeah. hearing so many different things about what people are serving. Yeah, it wasn't really wormwood. It was an ingredient inside of the wormwood called Tujon that supposedly was hallucinogenic. Now, absinthe was a victim of what the wine world in France did. So oh. absinthe was so popular. It was so cool. And all the celebrities were drinking it. And the wine people just got very jealous and boycotted it and invented the whole story. There's nothing to it. No real green. See, I love my there. wine, but there's uh, something great about the sugar cube and the absolutely. It's yeah, absolute, a great ritual. Yeah, you yeah. put the bottle up here and yeah. you twist the knob. Yeah. Although I am a little disappointed on how it all turned out, right? Because absinthe was illegal up until I want to say 2013. I was going to say it's fairly recent, it's all things considered. Recent, yeah. <laughs> and everybody was stomping their hand on their mm-hmm. desk. I want absinthe. I want absinthe. I want absinthe. Now that it's legal. Nobody's drinking. Mouthwash. Okay, we got to get some of the other pros in here because yes. we got everybody in here. So um, yes. next up, we have Eric Mummer. Mummer? Am I pronouncing it right? Okay, you are the beer expert. Here. Will be. Uh, we're starting the curriculum uh, beginning uh, second half of the year, most likely. So okay, maybe earlier if uh, we uh, get it organized. But, so uh, what do the beer classes <laughs> entail? Well, the beer class will be the same as uh, it'll be the essentially the same as the wine and, and liquor classes. It'll talk about history of beer, beer making methods, styles of beer, origins of beer. Um, pairings with food hopefully at some point uh, because that is one of the I think underrecognized although more and more restaurants are doing that with uh, mixed pairings they do wine sake beer Um, as Belgians will tell you beer is a great pairing for a lot of different things so uh, it's something that I think has been underutilized in this country for uh, uh, those purposes so yeah that too as well so for somebody who's a a big craft beer fan yeah um, but they don't really know anything at all about what to pair it with. Right. right? They're, they're, they're the annoying craft beer guy that tells you everything about it, right? But they don't know what to pair it with when they're at home. Are there any basic rules of thumb that you should apply? Well, it's, it's sort of like the, the same with wine. Uh, you typically want to pair something uh, that has uh, uh, that complements a dish rather than competes with it. So if you've got a pungent IPA, you probably want to pair that with something that's a little more, uh, that's a little more flavorful as well so it doesn't overwhelm it. Uh, that being said, a simple lager would be pairing something like a strong cheese, something like that. Uh, it just really goes... To to complement uh, the dish rather than taking it over or vice versa. So you guys, we got two beer fan, bigger beer fans than I've ever been. I've always uh. been more of a spirits person myself. Yeah. Um, so do you guys have any questions for the pro, the expert? Are the you man? ever bringing back Olympia? <laughs> <laughs> I lived in the, Seattle the for seven years. So Olympia, I know that, that, Heidelberg, that, uh, yeah. Rainier, yeah. Blitz Weinhard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they used to call it Runye up in uh, Seattle. Oh, as yeah, a joke. Yeah. But so, yeah, no, I think uh, Oli is gone, unfortunately. Uh, that's gone. Uh, that for the many kitchen staff up in Seattle. That was the means so. to an end in college, baby. Um, I know for me as a beer drinker, I tend to like the the big hoppy stuff, the bitter mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, long before the hipsters took over IPAs, right. like it's just because I, I like those bigger flavors. Right. Um, but I did find that they were, you know, sort of taking over some of the food and drink that you're going, 100%. especially if you're getting, you know, a great slice somewhere downtown. Right. right. IPA is going to just kill all of that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I don't understand very much of is the differences between a lager, a Mexican lager. Like there's some slight differences between the, how they get these flavors in. Right. What are some of those for those of us who are sort of now learning what it's like to drink a lighter, not light beer, but like a lighter flavor beer? Yeah, you you bring up a great point because I started drinking 
craft beer before craft beer was a thing. Right. Uh, I was in college in the late 80s, uh, early 90s. That's how old I am. Uh, <laughs> in Ann Arbor and uh, uh, Larry Bell's Brewing. Bell's Brewing was just down the road in Kalamazoo. So I used to go to the Village Corner. I had some extra money from, because my father paid tuition, but I had all beer Absolutely. and pizza money was my responsibility. <laughs> so I worked, uh, and the reason I'm in this business is I worked at Zingerman's in Ann Arbor, which uh, is uh, uh, was originally just a deli, but now it's become quite the, the food em- uh, empire. And the sister to Saginaw's and this yeah yeah America. there you yeah. go yeah and uh, actually and so Paul uh, actually owns uh, Jelly here in Vegas so, um, so I worked with Ari and Paul and give us a name uh, where are we going uh, God I forget the name nope. I just oh I just saw <laughs> sorry, it the other day <laughs> but uh, yeah sorry Paul I'll, I'll plug you when you I mean, get other my than internet in front of me circus he has at Circa he has an off strip place no I think that's the one okay oh, yeah okay. so that's yeah, 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 yeah so that's the one in the circus so yeah so um, I haven't actually gone to see him because apparently he's there quite a bit but uh, uh, he wouldn't remember me anyway it was forty years ago. <laughs> 35 years ago. But um, so that's what really launched me into this business. Yeah. I, I was a uh, finance and then tech guy. I was a dot-com refugee, first dot-com era, mm-hmm. uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my career. My wife got a job up in Seattle. We moved up there, and uh, I joined the wine business. I have a lot of wine certification, but craft beer is where I really started into this path, yeah. uh, where I am now. So, you know, Sierra Nevada Pale, obviously, oh, was benchmark still I'm from still Northern is. California. That's, that's, oh, yeah, that's, so much. That was, yeah. Yeah, I grew up, lived in the city for 12 years. I grew up in Palo Alto. There so, you go. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so, I mean, Northern California, my first anchor team was with my dad. Yes. a 49ers game <laughs> when I was 15. <laughs> he had a very European view of alcohol. Yep. One of the things that's unhealthy about this country is, well, healthier now. But back then, it was about getting drunk. Yeah. Uh, less so of that now. I think the, the younger uh, generation is very, very... Um, Pointing in that regard, they're they're very much more mature than we were in that regard. Uh, they're drinking better than we were. They're drinking less than we are, but they're drinking better quality. Exactly. So, um, and so that so I started off on those same sort of path, the hoppy yeah. beers, et cetera. I lived in Santa Rosa yep. for ten years, and Vinny and uh, Natalie owned Russian River. I was yep. there all the time. Uh, but the great thing about Vinny is that he makes every spectrum of beer. Yeah. And one of the things that a lot of the breweries they went heavily into the hey, let's get more IBUs and beers as much as we can. Let's hop on the sucker da, 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 da. and uh and they went away from balance to just let's you know yeah, how exactly. much we can punch you in the mouth with with hops but i think that trend has changed um we're seeing even the local breweries which we carry here at southern wine and spirits we're one of the few states by the way uh where southern actually carries beer um and we carry the whole spectrum we've got victory brewing sierra nevada lagunitas we also have uh big dog and uh craft house in our book uh and then we have uh medela special yeah. um, the constellation beer portfolio so we've got every spectrum but when you say like different styles of lagers that's definitely true and a lot of it has to do with well in germany obviously you have the very traditional sure um right heights et etc this is what can go in the certain beers uh in belgium it's a lot less uh strict for their beers and they obviously produce not so much lager but definitely a lot of doubles triples and then here in this country we kind of went towards the adjunct lagers the yeah. fizzy yellow uh, that was ubiquitous throughout the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. post prohibition all the breweries shut down uh there was really two legacy breweries from before that time yingling and anchor um that really stayed true to didn't you know stop production at any one point um but the Mexican lagers are typically based on Viennese lagers, so it's slightly okay. darker, um, slightly more, uh, although they're mostly adjuncts too, whereas most Viennese lagers will still be of the traditional German variety. But um, they tend to be a little bit 
little bit darker in color, a little bit richer, um, except for, and but a lot of them also are adjunct and very pale, like Modelo Special. Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing about U.S. breweries is that we've gone all over the map, and uh, you know, there's there's all different styles from very very crisp, uh, like Russian Rivers, for example. Their STS Pilsners, super hoppy, but not American hoppy. Yeah, uh, it's that's a uh, good way to put it. Actually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not it's not the uh, grapefruit and the uh, what we get from Cascade hops. Yeah, uh, it's but it's certainly much more uh, crisp, pungent than some of the other lagers you get. Where the, the, the it's boring. Hop- Sorry, guys. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's there's that, but I think that lagers were because everybody's looking for the big flavors in beer. Yeah, uh, and the American style, the West Coast IPA, which really is kind of the only indigenous digital indigenous <laughs> style to the United States, um, at least as far as recognized around the world. Um, Loggers were kind of an afterthought, yeah. um, especially since people, that's all they could get for a long time in this country. If you were getting a domestic producer, you're getting nothing but plain, boring lager. Um, and now there's so many different styles of different breweries that they're uh, some of their hoppier, some of the traditional, the Hellas lager, which is a slightly different from a Bavarian lager or a Czech Pils. And there's all different kinds of styles and they all represent a different group. But, yeah. um, but traditionally styles have always, I mean, Everybody thinks that pale lager came from Germany. It's actually not true. Pale lagers actually came from the Czech Republic uh, in Pilsen. Uh, when, because Munich has hard water and there's a lot of minerals in hard water, um, it, it's, it's much more uh, better match for stronger beers like, as far as flavors, like IPAs would be an example. Yep. Um, and uh, the softer water they had in, in the Czech Republic, or Czechia as they call it now, they changed the name again, uh, was the, that was the original pale Pilsner Interesting. lager. Uh, because they have softer water there. Yeah. So this is before you could do treatment, where you can treat water now anywhere and make a style you want sure. just having a water softener. But uh, um, so that's, you know, that's where the original pale lager came from. And just from the water types in different parts of Europe, and then extending over here for the same reason. Uh, before there was, you know, uh, ubiquitous water treatment, that's, you basically made the style that matched the water. Matched the water. The cool. Yeah. Wow. And that is what we learned in 10 minutes. Imagine what you learn in a 12-week course. Right, exactly. Right? <laughs> I was just thinking, gosh, these, these academy classes are going to be awesome. <laughs> wow. Um, th- thanks so much, Eric. I appreciate it. We do want to talk to Shana really quickly. Yeah, and sure. um, so, yes, what, and th- but man, I, I just can't wait to learn more from you. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm learning myself too. I'm taking more certifications uh, eventually to become advanced and advanced CISRO, which actually has fewer members than the Master SOM community. Yeah, it does. Mm. So, uh, looking forward to that as well. And now the boss, <laughs> I guess, the director of events and marketing um, here at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, Shana Graham. Shana, so this is your idea to reinstitute these courses and to to make them free for the first however many months? Yeah, I think it's Southern Wine and Spirits as a whole's idea just to get back out there in the community and in the hospitality industry and really relaunch this the right way and do what we did before, you know, the pandemic came along. Cool. Um, so, what other events, by the way? While we're talking, well, while we have you here, and you're the director of events, because I know Southern Glazers is always out there in the community, always doing things. Anything cool else? Anything else cool coming up that we yes, need to know about? Absolutely. We have our big event that we do every year, UNL Vino. 
gives back 100% of the proceeds back to the hospitality college at UNLV. We're super excited. We started um, two years ago kind of revamping it. We're doing our Bon Vivant dinner series. I think you've been to one before. I have, yeah. I yeah. was at um, one that Vincent did over at Monomiga B. Yes. Which is really cool. Yes. And then you did another one that conflicted with an event I was throwing. So I didn't get <laughs> to go to your Al Salido Posto thing. Yes. That, I was doing my own Meet the Chef. That, yeah, that was a great experience. But lucky for you, we have another one coming up on, in February um, with Tal Ronan at Crossroads, the legendary vegan chef. We're super excited. We have Gerard Bertrand Winery paired up with their biodynamic wines. It's going to be an amazing four-course dinner. Tal's going to be there um, introducing everybody and talking about each course. We'd love to have you guys come out. That'd Sounds be amazing. Like fun. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Sounds great. Well, yeah. Um, thanks for having us in here just to see this and to speak to your instructors. Um, we definitely have to run because I let this go over because I'm having <laughs> so much fun. But anything else we need to know about this series? Um, no, just that we're really excited to bring this back to the hospitality industry. And if they're interested in signing up at classes, they can go to S sgwsacademy.com or they can send an email to Las Vegas events at sgws.com That sounds fantastic. What about UNLVino events? UNLVino, you can get all of the events coming up at unlvino.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for having us. The news is next. This is Food and Loathing. It's time for the news, and to kick things off, as we record this episode, the James Beard Foundation has just announced the semifinalists for their 2023 Chef and Restaurant Awards, and I'm excited to report that Garagiste has been nominated for Outstanding Bar. And in the Best Chef Southwest category, the nominees, oh, by the way, that category is Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, and Oklahoma. We have four local restaurants and their chefs represented. We have Oscar and Francesco from Anima, by EDO. Of course, we all love that joint. Um, Chef Karu Azuichi, sorry if I got that wrong, from Kaiseki Yuzu. Um, Yip Chung of Red Plate and Jimmy Lee of Shanghai Taste. Yes. So congrats to all of them on being on the long yes. list. Oh my gosh. Let's hope some of them make it onto the short list and one of them makes it home with that. That award. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a medal that you yeah, wear. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's like Olympic awards. They walk out with a medal yes. from the photos I've seen. Yeah. So let's hope one of them gets that. Uh, the finalists will be announced on Wednesday, May, March 29th, and the winner's gala will be Monday, June 5th in Chicago. Ooh, my birthday weekend. Might have to go see what's going yeah. on. Um, you know, there's a pair of events to announce at Soul Belly Barbecue. That's downtown. Uh, first owner, Bruce Kalman, is having a barbecue class on February 13. It's actually more of a seminar than a class, running from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. The cost is $300 per person. More affordable and more imminent will be a collaborative dinner with Bruce's fellow Top Chef alumnus John Tesar. They'll join forces on January 30th for a whiskey and beer pairing dinner featuring Garrison Brothers and Shinerbach. Al spoke to Bruce about that one. Shiner Beer and uh, Garrison Brothers approached me about doing a tasting dinner, like a course dinner paired with probably basically a beer and a shot, you know, per course, and then we'll do a welcome cocktail. Um, And so initially I was like, I want to bring in a chef that I know from Texas. Um, I brought in a lot of barbecue guys here, but I wanted to bring a chef in. And John Tezar is one of the best out there, in my opinion. And, you know, he and I have cooked a lot together. Um, He was on Top Chef a couple times as well. And... Uh, he's now got restaurants all over the place. I mean, Florida, Texas, California, 
I'm surprised he's not open in Vegas yet. Um, and, you know, we just – we cook well together. So I thought it would be a really good pair. And then bringing uh, my, my chef, Marissa, in to do the dessert, uh, she was actually a pastry chef for Chris Cosentino at Coxcomb. So she actually has a pretty extensive pastry background. What should somebody expect when they come in that night? Meat heavy. <laughs> you know, we are, we are still cooking barbecue. It's just sort of bougie barbecue. Uh, I'm still sorting out my dish. John is doing a dish with beef cheeks and polenta. Uh, Marissa's still working on the dessert course. But, um, you know, the overall experience will be you walk in and we will have a little cocktail hour uh, where we have a signature cocktail uh, it's probably going to be a cocktail, uh, sort of like a beer cocktail with Shiner and Garrison Brothers in, in the drink, which I thought would be very cool. And then um, and we'll have some little, some little bites during that time, and then we'll sit down. And we are going to make a queso dip with Shinerbach with some chicharrones and tortilla chips. And maybe some carrot sticks in case somebody wants to feel like they're being a little healthy. And then we're going to kick off a three-course meal that's going to blow people away. Tickets for that one are $75, and you can get them through Eventbrite or the Soul Belly website. RPM Italian, owned by celebrity couple Juliana and Bill Rancic, has introduced a new sommelier experience. It's a five-course dinner held inside the sommelier station. Al spoke to the wine director, Allison Curatolo. So this is a chef's tasting menu, or uh, as we a psalm tasting menu, if you will. It's five courses that are paired and a collaboration between our uh, chef team and our sommelier team each evening. Uh, the menu does change a little bit to allow for kind of seasonal changes and the wines change almost nightly. So it's something that we're, if there's a bottle that's showing that we're really excited about, that we want to pair with our meal, or if there's a wine that we, on our wines on our list that maybe aren't getting as much love as we want mm-hmm. and to be able to pour for the the tables it's fun for us that we get to choose the wines every night and it is entirely performed and executed by a sommelier and so you have a dedicated sommelier that's taking care of you for the evening and you're in as you alluded to this is our working sommelier station and so you're a part of our wine service for the night as we're decanting bottles for the rest of the restaurant as we're assessing wine you're right in the middle of the action while also enjoying a beautiful meal So um, how much do I need to know about wine to come in here? Are you making the choices or do I need to look over an Italian wine list, which if I don't know a lot about wine in general, I certainly don't know anything about Italian wine. So, you know, I'm I'm a little afraid when I come into a restaurant like this to to order wine off a wine list. Is that going to be a setback for somebody like me? Absolutely not. We take care of all of the pairings ahead of time. We are gearing them to be paired with our meal every evening. And so as the uh, menu items change, we're changing the wines as well. You don't have to do anything besides sit back and enjoy and watch not only the the rest of the experience, but enjoy the wines as we put them forward. Um, if you want to talk more about the wines, if you want to order more, of course we can do that. We have our whole arsenal of wines and our whole beautiful wine list available. But for this experience, I do pair the wines and put them together ahead of time. So there's uh, no barrier to entry. You don't have to know anything uh, besides just ready to come and have a good time. Cool. I see that you have two price points on this. Mm-hmm. So could you explain the difference between the two? Absolutely. So right now we have $165 per person uh, for our five-course paired menu. That includes the price of wines. If you would like to do an elevated pairing, we have a reserva option for an extra $65 per person. 
so what nights is this available? What times is it available? Is it an open booking? And then how do I book it? Uh, this is available Tuesday through Friday, and we have an early booking and a later booking, uh, 5.30 and then 8 p.m. It is bookable on open table, and it is a prepaid experience, and so you do prepay ahead of time, get that all out of the way just so you can come in and enjoy as you're sitting down. And that is it for this week. Big thanks to our hosts here at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits um, and all of their <laughs> pros for teaching us a little bit and answering our trivia questions. Also, thanks to our guests, Bruce Kalman and Allison Coratolo. And uh, to uh, f- close the circle on, on the talk about Aquavit, yes, I've got Krogstad Aquavit distilled from grain, so a traditional caraway and star <laughs> anise spirit. I am a happy broadcaster. Oh, he's going home happy. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh, uh, tell a friend about food and loathing before you have the Aquavit, because <laughs> you won't be able to afterwards. It's available at the usual podcast places. Check Al's musings and postings at the major social sites. Just search Food and Loathing and reach us direct by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. And if you haven't done it yet, download the Neon Feast app and use it to find your next dining destination. Whatever you need or whatever you want, you will find it on the Neon Feast app or over at neonfeast.com. If you want to see me on TV, you can get in right now. Catch me at Wake Up on the CW every other Wednesday around 8, 10 a.m. We may be moving that day, and I may be doing it every week sometime pretty soon. Ooh. But I'll let you know more about that. But first, Gemini, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me on all the socials or uh, wishboneandvine.com. It's all the same username. Also catch you all week long on the Neon Feast update on The Vibe. 99.7 in Vegas, 98.1 in the high desert, 98.9 down on the lovely Colorado River at Laughlin Bullhead City. And every Thursday morning around 810 at the club, AM 670, KMZQ. With Samantha Gemini Stevens and Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Yeah.